In our epistle reading this morning, we hear how Paul writes to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. He writes this letter during his own imprisonment and advocates for his cellmate. Onesimus is a runaway slave from Philemon, his master. And during his time in prison, he has come to know Christ through the Holy Spirit and his relationship with Paul. Paul is concerned for Onesimus because it seems as if he will soon be released back to Philemon, of whom he also knows well. It's important to understand the context of the ancient Greco-Roman world. At the time, almost everybody could become a slave. In fact, about 35 to 40 percent of the population was enslaved. As the property of their masters, slaves were considered animated tools and could be bought and sold at their master's discretion. Slaves were often abused. They could be expelled from the master's house if they were old or sick. Most important for us to understand is the urgency of Paul's letter to Philemon is the fact that the master had the right to kill a slave when he or she ran away. Paul was involving himself in a potential life or death matter. So how does the apostle tackle this urgent need? Paul uses all his skills and experience as a counselor. He begins by building rapport and encouragement with Philemon. Paul's personally familiar with him and, is probably, and he's probably also a leader in the Colossian church. He addresses him as our beloved fellow worker, reminding him of their own personal connection. He also expresses his abundant, abundant uh, gratefulness for Philemon's love and faith, specifically mentioning his own joy and comfort. These words are specifically chosen to flatter Philemon. Paul wants to ensure that he's in a good mood before he brings up for the first time the more unpleasant news about the runaway slave, Onesimus. After acknowledging Philemon's love and faith, Paul presents his request. On behalf of Onesimus, in this passage, he refers to himself as an old man and also now a prisoner for Christ. In this context, it may seem as another attempt to make sure Philemon reads his words with sympathy and compassion rather than with anger. When presenting his request, Paul does not command Philemon but appeals to him on the basis of love. In addition, he tells Philemon, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord. Given that this letter is probably read aloud to the others it's addressed to, it's safe to say that the remainder of the Colossian congregation hears the words as well. Philemon will have a hard time not to respond positively to Paul's appeal. At the same time, when Paul finally mentions the name of Philemon's former slave, he reframes the context and introduces him as my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Later, he calls him my own heart and a beloved brother. Eventually, he recommends that he be welcome as Paul himself would be. So while Philemon might have had ambivalent feelings towards Onesimus, he receives protection through this new status. Referring to a slave as one's child, 
is, by the way, a particular expression of honor towards somebody who typically counts as a piece of property. Now, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. The letter that he wrote would have accompanied Onesimus on his way. Paul is imprisoned, so he can't come along. While it is not clear why Onesimus left his master in the first place, Paul is eager to emphasize that he has changed. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to both you and me. Paul writes deploying a pun on the slave's name, which means useful in Greek. In dealing with this delicate life or death matter, Paul does not resort to his own authority. Instead, he uses gentle words, references their relationship, and evokes mutual love. His own behavior should serve as an example for Philemon to receive Onesimus as a new brother in Christ. So what comparisons can we draw from this passage? To start with, Paul's humble, gentle, and loving demeanor as manifest in his letter to Philemon should remind us of how Christ has advocated on our behalf. Just as Paul made a bold appeal for the restoration of Onesimus and to spare his life, Christ's ultimate sacrifice on the cross is his appeal on our behalf and our chance for redemption and restoration from our sins. Onesimus was a runaway. Aren't we runaways too? At times in our lives, haven't we been runaways in one form or another? Think about it for a minute. Have you run away from something in your life? Have we run away from our responsibilities to others, ourselves? Have we run away from our fears, hoping they'll just disappear? Have we run away from the truth, failing to speak up and be heard, to stand our ground, to be accountable for what we have done and for what we haven't done? Have we run away from our sins, convincing ourselves that they aren't really sins at all, maybe just minor mistakes? When we sin, we're running away from Christ, from our relationship with God the Father. He doesn't leave us. We leave him. Our sins distance us from our relationship with him. We're all lost runaways when we try to fix our problems on our own. We are truly lost. Another comparison to consider is, like Onesimus, we are prisoners too. Locked up in the secular world, distracted with material things, our homes, our electronics, our jobs, our status, the love of money, focused on things other than Christ, and our ultimate destination of eternal life in heaven. When we're focused on this world, day in and day out, we spend little time in the scripture and more time in the task of our daily lives. It's tiring. Sometimes it's hard to recognize that we're imprisoned by our sins. We're chained to this world, trapped by bars that prevent us from reaching our Heavenly Father. We try to feel better about ourselves. We'll read books, listen to motivational speakers, we can read self-affirmations and make lists of all of our strengths. But we fail. We're not capable of free freeing ourselves. 
We need to find our restoration through Christ. So as Paul writes his letter to Philemon, Christ too petitions our God, the Father, to spare us from the prison of our sins. Christ appeals to the Father to forgive us, to redeem us, and to restore us. Through his sacrifice on the cross, he transforms and renews us in the profile, from the profile of a runaway sinner to that of a child of God. He reframes us as faultless in his eyes. Christ builds us up. He presents us as unblemished. And he petitions our Father to save us. So just take a moment. Frame that in your mind. While Christ was bearing the ultimate pain, he was asking our God the Father to forgive us. Through his suffering for our sins, we were forgiven. Just as I demonstrated in the children's sermon, when Christ died on the cross, it was all wiped away. So what is our part in the process of restoration? First and foremost, we need to recognize that we are sinful, that we are flawed, that we fail. The law reminds us and it convicts us that we can't achieve restoration on our own. Every Sunday, our liturgy includes confession and absolution. Every Sunday, either at early or late, we provide the sacrament of Holy Communion. Our portion is to come to recognize what Christ has done for us and humbly ask for forgiveness. If we're unable to recognize our sins and kneel down before the Lord, our Savior, we will remain in prison. But if we confess our sins to God who is faithful and just, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we're burdened by our past sins that we run away from the healing and restoration in Christ. Pain from our past weighs us down. It infects our minds and our hearts. We believe that our sins can't be forgiven and thereby shut ourselves off from the possibility of redemption. We hold ourselves as unforgivable. If this description fits you, remember Christ's sacrifice. The blood that Jesus shed for us, it has no limits. All of your sins are forgiven, have been forgiven. That phrase often reminds me of a lesson my father taught me about with Christianity. He told me that there were two types of religion. The first one is Christianity in which is defined as done. Christ has died on the cross for the sins, for our sins, and it's done. And that other religions espouse the concept of do, that one must perform in some way to reach salvation. So remember, Christ has freed us. The battle is won. We are restored and our restoration is twofold. When you leave here today, remember that through Christ, your salvation is complete. Be confident in knowing where you're going when your time on this world ends. Don't be chained by sin. Don't be hindered by doubt. Now, just as important it is to remember what to do with that sense of restoration in your daily life as you live in this fallen world. Through your restoration, be empowered to boldly go out and live a Christ-like life. You have been made new again. 
God has restored you to a strength to focus not on this world. You have been empowered to proclaim the gospel through the word. Be energized to focus on the needs of others. Be an example of Christ's love and sacrifice by how you treat your neighbor. Pass the grace that Christ has bestowed on you to those around you. Lift them up. Build them up. Look beyond the obvious and recognize when someone is lonely, when someone is depressed, when someone is heartbroken. Be empowered through your restoration to see beyond the obvious and attend to those needs. Take the time to send one of somebody a text or an email and tell them that you're thinking about them and praying for them. Call someone just to check in and see how they're doing. Seek out people that you think need to be touched by God's grace. God restores us on this earth to be equipped to shed our focus from ourselves so that we can be used as a useful disciple to those around us. Our response to Christ's restoration is to do his work in his name. So today, let your hearts be restored through Christ. Leave all your chains of fears, anxieties, your imprisonment to sin that makes you focus on this world. Leave it here today. Leave it at the cross. Leave this church unburdened and restored. Amen.